Doug, thank you so much for that prayer. Doug is uh, the vice chairman of our missions committee, so grateful for your willingness to pray this morning. It is our great privilege this morning to have Brad and Beth Buser with us. Brad is going to come and preach in just a minute. Um, if you weren't in Sunday school this morning, we live stream that. I would really encourage you to go back and watch that. And in Sunday school, Brad talked about the long relationship that he and Beth have with our church. And we are just so grateful for our partnership with them these many years. They labored for over 20 years among the Ateti people of Papua New Guinea and planted a healthy church that he explained to us earlier is still thriving today, and we thank God for that. And then Brad founded Radius International, and I personally believe it is one of the most important missionary training schools, not only in our nation but around the world, for reaching the most difficult-to-reach people groups in the world. And so we're thankful to be partnering with them. By the grace of God, our church was able to give them a large gift earlier this year. I say that for your encouragement, not in any way to boast, but it just is shows how much we believe in that school and, and what they're doing. So at this time, Brad is going to come and preach for us. Okay, I think we're live. I think we're good. Uh, always, always a privilege to be able to uh, be with you guys, around you guys, in this church, in this town. Uh, remember the first time driving up the old 27, and uh, my mother, future mother-in-law was driving me to uh, their house. Beth had invited me to spend a Christmas break. I didn't even know her. We'd gone on one date. I thought she was gorgeous. And that was all I needed uh, to accept the invitation. I would find out later she loved the Lord. She is a Christian. She has a heart for world missions. But, you know, gorgeous was at the top of the list. Anyway, that's how shallow I am. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, I just want to, uh, again, build on the foundation that is here. Uh, I, I love getting to do that. Uh, as I explained in Sunday school, so many places that we go to just don't have a foundation. And so uh, we're not going to be getting into Matthew chapter 28. Uh, you guys have heard that preached quite a few times. Uh, three, four years from now, if I'm back there, I'll do it again. Uh, Mark 16, we're, we're going to avoid that too. Luke 24, we're going to avoid that too. And uh, we're, I want to talk about a, a concept that... Um, is on my radar a lot as we uh, look at students that come to Radius. And these are incredible folks, uh, and I say that truly. And yet, uh, we can all turn on the jets for a few years. Uh, but can we purpose to live consecrated lives? And uh, I don't want to have a lot of preamble. Again, I could, I could take the next 35 minutes and express our appreciation for this church and the part it's had in our lives, our kids' lives. Uh, the Iteti people are a direct outgrowth of this church. But I want to get in God's word this morning. We will get to Luke chapter uh, 14, but I want to go back and, and, and let's uh, start actually in uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 24. <clears throat> I love looking at uh, what different uh, key people in the scriptures have uh, understood about God, and uh, there's no one else in the scripture that is uh, said to have had a heart after mine, a David, a man after God's own heart. God allowed that to be written about David. And David uh, just understood some things about God. He understood our Father's heart for the nations. You read that in the book of Psalms. It's just stunning 
how aware he was of the character of God and what was important to his God. But he also understood something else about God. How do we worship God? What is consecration? What is the essence of consecration? Uh, it is giving back to God that which is, he is worthy of. Uh, we see that in the life of Abraham, and we're not going to go into that in Genesis chapter 12, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 22, uh, where he takes Abraham, his only son, and uh, sacrifices him to me on a mountain. And uh, Abraham, you know what I appreciate about Abraham? He didn't, uh, he didn't pray about it. He didn't process. He got up the next day, and he started moving toward Mount Moriah to sacrifice his one and only son, the son of promise. And some people will minimize that text by saying, well, uh, he knew that he was going to get Isaac back. I would caution you in that uh, because you know what? Uh, just the chapter before, he'd been commanded to put Ishmael out into the desert. And uh, he never saw Ishmael again. The next recorded time that we see of him seeing Ishmael was when he was dead at his burial. And so he had already offered up one son who he loved. He was, Ishmael was just as much his son as Isaac was. And so there's no reason to believe that he was going to get Isaac back. And yet he went on that track because God was going to test his consecration. Am I first? Am I actually first or not? This uh, chapter, <clears throat> chapter 24 of Second uh, Samuel, uh, we, we're looking into a different uh, aspect of uh, David's uh, life here. And David, uh, at, at that, this point in time, if you read the whole chapter, we don't have time for that this morning. If you read the whole chapter, it's, a, it's, it's one of David's uh, low times. He, he, made, he makes a mistake. David caved into that desire that we all have. I want to know. He wanted to know how many men he had, how many chariots he had, how many horsemen he had. He wanted to know how many armies he had before he went into battle. And God had very expressly condemned that idea. No, 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 no. Earlier on uh, in the history books, uh, God had made it very clear to the kings of Israel, you don't go into battle knowing how many chariots and how many horsemen you have. You go into battle trusting in me, not in your chariots. But David caved into that desire to know, and he numbered the armies, and God sent a plague, and from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 Israelites died because David had to know. I want to know. I want to know. If I only knew, oh, I've heard that. If I only knew God had called me into missions, if I only knew how long it would take, if I only knew my wife would be safe, if I only knew, if I only knew. And again, we go back to the concept in Scripture of raw, grunt, black belt, industrial strength, faith, Hebrews 11 type faith. They did not know, and they went anyway. They pressed forward, only believing that God has spoken and I will expend everything. Man, Noah, looking like an idiot if that flood doesn't come for 120 years. Because God spoke, he moved. And uh, this time here, uh, God sends a plague on the nation of Israel to punish David for his need to know, to not walk in faith. I want to know. And we get to the point where uh, finally the plague uh, has stopped uh, at the ranch at the little uh, place of, of this uh, individual. He's only known as Aruna the Jebusite. That's all we know about him. And uh, David and his entourage, his posse, come up to Aruna's place and they're going to uh, have an offering there uh, to commem- um, commemorate the end of the plague. And Aruna says this <clears throat> in verse uh, 21 of chapter 24. Aruna said, why is my lord the king come to his servant? David answered, to buy your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the lord that the plague and the people may be stopped. Everybody knew about the plague. Arun is like, you know, very stoked that the plague has stopped. And David's here. David is an intimidating character. David has his posse. David doesn't travel by himself. And to have the king there on your property saying, I'm going to build an offering here and do an offering here. uh, Man, no doubt uh, Arun is dumbfounded. And so he says this. 
Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are my oxen for the burnt offering, and here are the threshing sledges and the ox yokes for the wood. For, <clears throat> for the wood. O king, Aruna gives all this to the king, and Aruna also said, May the Lord your God accept you. How cool would that be? David had a free offering he could give. It wasn't going to cost him any of the, burnt, any of the oxen, any of the threshing sledges, none of the wood. Uh, David had the opportunity to do something that would look good, smell just like a regular sacrifice. It had all the accoutrements of a sacrifice. There's nothing wrong with the sacrifice as Aruna intended it to happen. But David knew something about God. God doesn't want that which is cheap, which is easy, which is cost-free. So David doesn't hesitate a second. He replies in verse 24, But the king replied to Aruna, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Folks, I see enough people, even in the missions world, no doubt throughout the church, but I'm mostly dealing with radius candidates. Uh, I'll do anything but. I'll do anything but go to Africa, where it's hot, to the Sahara. I'll do anything uh, but put my kids in a boarding school. I'll do anything but. Sometimes these things aren't stated. They're just quietly acknowledged. I'll do anything but. I'll do anything but. I have my little lines in the sand. Uh, <clears throat> you know, the U.S. Center for World Missions put out a study back in the year 2000, and they showed the direct correlation between the, the hotness of Africa and missionary allocation. We have radio students uh, that talk about going to cool places. Beth and I, the last time we were in New Guinea, and we sat down with a couple, and they actually straight-faced with no embarrassment whatsoever. They had made a determination that they're not going to work among a tribal people that is lower than 2,000-foot elevation because they felt like over 2,000 feet uh, you sleep better, which you do, and you have less Anopheles mosquitoes. Wow. I was stunned that they would straight-facedly tell me that. When I was in leadership in New Guinea, we would like, you go home then. You go wherever the need is greatest. You go where the need is greatest. Yeah, it's going to be hard on your wife. It's going to be hard on your kids. You're going to get more malaria. You're not going to sleep as good at night. Yeah, we get all that. But those folks have no access to the gospel. <clears throat> it is tragic what's happening in missions today. The subtle little decisions. And folks, if it's happening in missions, which has historically been known for sacrifice, it's happening in the church too. The short-term proliferation. Doing it on time frames. <clears throat> We have to read very carefully <clears throat> applications that come into Radius. Uh, if, they, if they indicate somehow that uh, they're looking at being on the field 10, 12, 14 years, uh, we don't take them as a student. Because if they're saying that, they're probably thinking eight years. And they're never going to get the job done. <clears throat> I remember when my dad uh, joined up uh, December 8, 1941, day after Pearl Harbor. Uh, it was for the duration, till the job is done. And as churches, we need to be raising up and expecting those sent out from St. John's First Baptist Church till the job is done and helping them. And then as a church, you stand behind them in that way. Uh, I was telling Tim about um, when my, uh, <clears throat> the church, my church in San Diego, when they sent Beth and I out a few years later, uh, there was a giant issue that came into the church. And, uh, man, some of the key families left. Later on, uh, we came home on our first furlough. And uh, we were having a party with them, those folks that had left the church. And uh, it, it was kind of awkward for Beth and I, because uh, we knew what had happened. And finally, one of them, he broke the ice on that very tender topic, and he said, uh, what's it like being here with us? And I said, Kurt, it's hard. His name was Kurt. Kurt, it's hard. 
you guys came up and laid hands on us when we were going to the field, and you expected us to stay and finish the task, and you bailed on us. You bailed on us. Man, it got pretty quiet in that big party. Every, we were in our late 20s. Everybody was much older than us. Folks, are we expecting our missionaries to stay? You better. What's the point? What, 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 do we just want to flush money down the toilet 10 years and they come home for whatever reason? We expect missionaries to go, <clears throat> stay, and get the job done, leave behind the church, and they're not done till there's a church that they have left behind. That's a proper expectation. Man, we see that in Acts chapter 13 from the church there. I'll tell you what, the, the missions world is no different than the world out there. Man, to, to tell you what, the, uh, the latitude for little adjustments, for little, uh, you know what, my, my, my second kid's graduating. I got to come home now. We're, we're done with our years on the field, or our first kid, or whatever like that. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I could give you illustration after illustration. David understood God doesn't want that which is cheap, easy, free, cost-free. Turn over to First <clears throat> uh, Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> Uh, Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church, just for those who might not be aware of this, man, it was pretty checkered. Uh, man, following Paul's time with the Corinthian church, man, there were people that came in and, uh, man, really attacked, assassinated Paul's character. Uh, and he, he had to field a ton of questions, different accusations. Second Corinthians uh, is, by and large, given over to Paul's defense of himself uh, regarding some of those accusations. But here, uh, and we don't, again, have time to read the whole text, uh, but he starts off giving, again, once again, a defense. He ends up that little thing here. Therefore, judge nothing, verse 5 of chapter 4, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. No, but guys, just back off. Back off. Come on, I lived among you for two years. I modeled among you. I taught among you. You know some things about me. Don't let these guys that are following, <coughs> following on my you know, trail now uh, man, totally rob you of the truth that you learned from me in Christ. He starts a chapter off like that. And then, he, and then he, he, Paul's going to lay out the most sarcastic uh, section of Scripture that he ever writes He's really going to take the Corinthians to task because the Christianity that he had modeled and taught, they tweaked it. They adjusted it. And Paul, as only someone who is literally their father in the faith, he's going to call them back to what he modeled and what he taught. It's painful to read. Let's listen to it, though. Paul writes to them in verse 8. He starts off this long section. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've become kings, and that without us, us, the real apostles. How I wish you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We've been made, we, the real apostles, not those who claim to be apostles. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. You figured out an honorable way to be a Christian. Have you done that, Corinthians? Corinthians, how did you do that? You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we, the real apostles, go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. 
we work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. This is the model Paul is reminding. This is the model that we modeled before you and we taught you. This is what it is to be followers of Jesus. But you've adjusted it. You've made it into a nice lifestyle. How have you done that? When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. Verse 13, when we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we, the real apostles, have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. And Paul realizes, I've laid it on pretty thick here. Man, I'm sure they're, they're smarting right about now. And that's tough. Those are tough words. So he says this in verse 14, I am not writing this to shame you. Get over the shame, get over the embarrassment, but to warn you as my dear children. I love you guys. I lived among you. I served you. Man, as a mother treats her child, that's the way we lived among you, he would say elsewhere. Verse 15, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers in Christ Jesus. I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Go back. Go back to total consecration, completely being about him, completely being overwhelmed that I've been forgiven of my sin and whatever, wherever, no matter how long, short, what diseases, whatever it costs, God, you own me. I'm at your beck and call. No buts, no fine print, anything but whatever you want to see this church have a flood of young people We've gone through enough times, Matthew 28. You know your Savior's heart to be honored among every tongue, every tribe, every nation. To have people in their teens and 20s, okay, go into the church leadership. I don't know if I'm cut out for this. You guys make that determination. I can no longer read my Bible knowing my Savior's heart for the nations and just go to work. I can't do it. I encourage you, don't do it. Don't live with that. 500-pound gorilla looking over your neck every time missions conference time comes along. Why am I not doing it? I mentioned this in Sunday school hour. Man, the majority of our students, after two weeks, <clears throat> much like I had to admit, uh, before I got on the train leaving San Diego as an 18-year-old kid, I'm scared and I don't want to do this. Of course you don't want to do this. Who wants to leave St. John's? It's actually pretty nice around here, except for the last couple days. It's pretty terrible. <laughs> Jeez Louise, could you have gotten any colder? And then thanks for the wind, too. That was awesome, just to top it off. <laughs> That's incredible. Nobody wants to leave this place. Man, I remember my wife. I've told you guys. This, my wife, the first year we were on the field, every Sunday at 1120, because that's when the deacons would be coming down the aisles to collect the offering. She would be sitting there in our little tin can apartment, tears coming down. Tears. She had roots here. It's tough to leave the rootedness here. But folks... We are bought at a price. We're owned by another. We don't have the right to do the things we want to do. We don't get to chart out our lives. We don't get to raise our kids so that we have all the grandkids living here. We've talked about this. We don't maneuver so that we have heaven here and heaven there. I guarantee you to the degree that you maneuver for heaven here and heaven there, there will be lost. Not lost heaven. It will be a lesser experience. Because you had it heaven here already. Let that be your place of reward and retirement and rest. Not here. <clears throat> Let's go back now to Luke chapter 14. We've, we've, we've gotten a little bit there <clears throat> from David. We've seen Paul pull out the guns on the Corinthians because they had adjusted what he had clearly taught them. So let's go back 
and refresh ourselves. What is Christianity 101? This is Christianity 101 in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. We'll read this passage. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He doesn't say it's hard. He doesn't say it's rare. You're not my disciple. You're not my disciple. You're religious. You've got a great lifestyle. You're a lot of things. But you're not a follower of me unless you have understood it's a death sentence on your life to be a follower of Jesus. I'm so grateful for a youth pastor who laid that out. Whenever he talked about the gospel, <clears throat> uh, I, I've shared this before, but the, the, his succinct version of the gospel, which he shared once or twice a month, what Christ did on that cross, there's nothing you can do to add to it. His blood pays for your sin. It's a done deal. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. All you can do is fall on your knees and say, thank you, God, and accept it as the gift that it is. But you do need to understand that once you accept that gift, your life is over. You have no future. You have no rights. It's all about him from that moment on. He shared that message. Whenever he shared the gospel, he shared that message in that way. That's what kept me from becoming a Christian for over six months. I loved my life. I loved my life. I didn't want to wave goodbye to my life. I had my life all planned out. You guys know the story. Some of you do. Jesus turns to the crowds. He doesn't turn to Peter, James, and John. Hey, real disciple. This is discipleship. This isn't for everybody. Or he didn't turn to the 12. This isn't like the, the, the pastoral staff. This is what we expect of you guys. He turns to the crowds. Christianity 101. For everybody, no exceptions. He didn't hate crowds. He just knew the crowds would never follow him. But for those in the crowd that might want to consider following him, here's what it means to be my follower. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. It's just absolutely impossible. We have to address this a lot with our students, this issue of family first. Now, no one, after a while, people won't talk like that. We'll say God, then family, then church, then, 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 then. We've got, we've got, God is at the top of our list. But if we go back to Exodus chapter 20, the first thing that he's going to command of his people there, as he gives the Ten Commandments, is, you shall have no other gods before me. What he's saying there is, I'm not first on your list. I am the list. In comparison to your love for me, your allegiance to me, everything else looks like hatred. That's what our Lord is saying here, too. You are so utterly mine. You are so consumed with being pleasing to me, with hearing from me, well done, good and faithful servant. That, in comparison, it looks like hatred. I remember preaching this message at Francis Chan's um, little school in Simi Valley some years ago. And uh, Francis was sitting over there. It wasn't a big pulpit like this, but uh, Francis is sitting over there. That's kind of intimidating. And uh, Francis got up. I, I, I prayed, closed. We're going to go to lunch. And Francis stands up and says, everybody sit down. Everybody sit down. And uh, he came up to the little hood mic stand down there. And he said, uh, what you've heard is the word of God. And I want you to know, in comparison to my love for the Lord Jesus, I hate Lisa Chan. It's his wife. I hate Rachel Chan. It's his oldest daughter. 
At the time, he had two other kids, and he went through their names. Are we clear with our families? Are we clear with our families? Are, are we clear as men leading families? In comparison to my allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, who hung on the cross and bought me with his precious blood, I hate you, honey. My love for you comes nowhere near my allegiance to him. So if it's listening to him and following him, and, that, and you're going to take a hit, you're going to take a hit. And most of the time, me following the Lord Jesus has been good for my wife. Not all the time. Hasn't been all the time good for my kids. Mm-mm. It's brought them pain. It's brought them diseases. Brought a lot of separations. Are we clear as families? We dare not talk about leading our families until we've had this discussion internally and with our wife and with our kids, if we have such things. Are we clear as a church? He is absolutely the head of this church and the head of every family in it and the head of the leadership of the church. There is no question. Does that mean we are not good husbands? Of course not. I do all I can to be a good husband. But when the things of being in conflict with being a good follower of Jesus and protecting my wife, I will be a good follower of Jesus every time. And sometimes they do come into conflict. And let's be clear. The head of the church, the Lord Jesus himself, has allowed his church to go through incredible suffering. He has not protected his church from all suffering. Don't need to read much of church history. Verse 27. Got the glare. Terrible wearing eyeglasses. Verse 27. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You know, we, we know the New Testament. This has become a turn of phrase to us. It's become a figure of speech, significant, you know, and signifying <clears throat> consecration. Not to these guys. Man, those crowds that were listening to Jesus, I don't know the setup. Was he down in the valley talking to the hillside? Up on the, I don't know the particulars. But I know this. He says this. Whoever does, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. There was ripples. What the heck? Because the only people that were carrying crosses were people that were dead within about 48 hours. They, were, they weren't making future plans. They weren't talking about retirement. They weren't talking politics. They didn't care. They were focused. They were going to die. Men, women, who carried crosses, they were going to die. And all these other accoutrements of life don't have time. <clears throat> we're dead men walking. We're dead men walking. If only we could recapture that. If our students at Radius could recapture that. I'm living on borrowed time. I want to be pleasing to him. They had no idea that their lives were going to be going on. These people that heard this. I'm sure there was quite an uproar. Maybe not an uproar, but a a lot of looking back and forth. And people were like, whoa, that's heavy duty. What is he talking about? He thought this guy was a prophet, maybe even the Messiah. Sheesh. This is crazy talk. No one had ever used that turn of speech before. This wasn't like a common expression, carry your cross. That wasn't like the rabbis were talking like that in the synagogues all over Israel. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus coined that phrase. He's the first. Wow. And so I'm sure he's reading the crowd, so he's going to give them a couple of illustrations. First one is this, verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays a foundation and is unable to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. That's a pretty easy illustration to understand. 
And what Jesus is saying is, think it through. Think it through. You're my follower? Great. I want your life. I want your wife's life. I want every one of your children's lives. They have no future. I own it all. You don't have a, yeah, you went to college to get that degree and that future? It's all at my feet. It's all laid bare before me. That, I, I, you come to me on no other basis. There's no other way to be my follower. So don't get halfway into this. And I am, again, so grateful for a youth pastor who laid it out. Man, you have no life. You have no future. You have no life. You have no future. Man, mulling that over in my mind for over six months. As I, by then, I was pretty clear what the gospel is. But I love my life. And I had to mull that over and come to the point, okay, I've got no future. I, didn't, I wasn't thinking missions by any means. I just knew this. It's all his. It's all his. I wasn't listening to anything but the gospel for those six months. All the Christian talk, Matthew 28, all that stuff. I wasn't even listening to that stuff. It's not for me. I was trying to find a chink. I was trying to find a chink in what this youth pastor was saying so that I could accept that forgiveness that was offered in Christ and have my life. And he would not allow that to happen. I'm so grateful for the courage of that man. Think it through. Jesus is saying, think it through. Don't get into your 50s and realize, man, you've lived this whole thing on your basis. You've made all the shots. You've actually created heaven on earth. Guys, that's not biblical Christianity. We live in a weird micro-bubble of history where something like that can happen. And I know it can happen. And again, to, to see what being a follower of Jesus has cost, man, our forebears. Uh, it's been horrific throughout the ages. Think it through, Jesus is saying. Think it through. And I would encourage you that have been a part of this church for decades, some maybe just a few years, have you really laid your life bare, not for the leadership of this church, but before the Lord, and because you are members of a church, which every Christ follower should be, that means before the leadership of the church too. Are they perfect men? You know, that's, that's, if we had the 12 apostles as the leaders of St. John's First Baptist Church, it would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? Flawless men like Thomas. Uh-uh, unless I put my finger in his hand and his side. You've got fallen men leading the church. I'll take a number. That's all there are out there, guys. But they are the men that are leading this church. And they should be having a big say in your lives. The autonomous Christian, there's no place for that in the New Testament. Jesus is saying, think it through, think it through, think it through. Then the other illustration that follows, it's a little tougher to decode, but we'll walk through it here. Verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the others are still a long way off. And we'll ask for terms of peace. Okay, so let's, <clears throat> let's get the scene here. The first one is, think it through. Think it through. The second one is this. <clears throat> I've got 10,000 soldiers, and Chad's coming toward me with 20,000 soldiers. <clears throat> Only in comic books does 10,000 ever overcome 20,000. You lose. I lose every single time. Every single time. What is Jesus saying here? First illustration is, think it through, think it through. Second illustration is, what are your options? To live for 80 years here? You'll lose every time. 
You'll lose every time, no matter how good the look is. You'll lose every time. Yes, it's going to cost you everything to be my follower. The end of all your roots, the end of all your Israelitness. He would get into that later on after Pentecost. The end of all what you think it is to be rightly related to God. I want it all. Every, man, he's going to flip their worlds on their heads. He'll do it slowly, but nonetheless, it's going to turn over. It means the end of everything. <clears throat> it's going to cost you everything, but what are your options? To be a heathen? To create a new religion? Where I can be right with God and own my life. That's a new religion. That is a new religion. Not founded in these pages. What are your options? Think it through. But what are the options? Or let go of your life. Let go of your future. Let go of your dreams, your ambitions, your goals. And embrace me. And let me create new ones. I don't want to be a missionary. Heck no. I couldn't get around what I saw in God's word. I couldn't get around it. I couldn't call myself. I couldn't go to school and try to share my faith in this little struggle I was as a new Christian and realize, yeah, I'm trying to share my faith, but I've actually said no. And I did. I said no for a few months until I finally took that application. I couldn't do it. I felt like when I was in that mode, my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. And then he closes this very difficult passage with this. He says in verse 33, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. What does that actually read in the Greek? In the Greek, it reads like this. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. It's right there in the clear, folks. And I didn't crawl through your homes last night and scratch out what was there and write that in. Those are the words of Jesus. I remember <clears throat> preaching this passage in uh, Mexico. And this woman came up to me. She had not been happy with me the whole week. And she came up to me. And she's, she literally is wagging her finger in my face. Are you saying I need to give up everything I have? I said, no, ma'am. I'm not saying that at all. Jesus is. It's exactly what he's saying. That starts off with your futures, with your children, with your health, with your definition of family, with your definition of pleasure, with your definition of relaxation. How much have we bought into the American dream where we are owed virtually everything, especially in this current day and age? Um, Jesus said this. And I can remember, folks, um, he's a good God. He is a good God. He, he, He takes no pleasure in crushing us. He takes no pleasure. He wants to use us for his purposes. <clears throat> I remember uh, this was, gosh, August of 1973. And I was uh, leaving San Diego to come back here to Jackson, Michigan, possibly the ugliest city in the United States of America. I didn't know that. They didn't have pictures of Jackson trying to sell the training. Okay? But I'm, I'm on this train going from San Diego up to L.A. <clears throat> and if you've ever taken the train... Uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm on the window seat because I want to see the surf breaks. All these places I'd surfed as a kid. Man, Cardiff Reef, Oceanside, oh my gosh, uh, oh, come on, Scripps, all these places. I had done surfing contests there. That was my thing. And I'm, um, and I'm <clears throat> going up and we're getting close. I'm getting close to getting off the train. And it's hard. Man, what am I doing? What am I doing? What have I done? What have I done? What have I done? And I made a decision there on that train as a young kid. I made a decision pretty big for 
where I was at in life, and I, I had to tell the Lord, Lord, if I, if I never surf again, that's okay. If I never surf again, that's okay. Because I was looking at the beautiful Pacific Ocean and all the things I'd done out there. If I never surf again, that's okay. Because I was close to leaving that train and going back to San Diego. I forgot about that. <clears throat> um, went up to L.A., went back east. Second year there, she walks through the door. Okay, that's a good thing. And uh, we get married. You know, we go to New Guinea. We have, you know, 200 children. Uh, we spend, you know, a lot of time in New Guinea. Got to do some great things there. Came back in 1999. And uh, in 1999, by that time there, Buzz was nine years old. Brooks was in his early 20s. Brandon was in his early 20s. And uh, all four of us are out in the ocean at the... Uh, uh, La Jolla Shores, and it's a beautiful summer day. We're all four on our surfboards. You know, we're talking trash as dads do with their kids. We're pulling on each other's le- leashes and just having a glorious day in the ocean. And you know what? The Lord brought that back to me, what I'd said when I was 18 years old. By then, I was 44. And I realized, man, this is the best day I've had surfing in my life. Folks, we cling to our dream. It'll bring cancer to your soul, to your life, to your family. It'll bring selfishness to them. It'll bring lack of usefulness for the kingdom of God to them. The thing that I was thinking I was so noble to give up, God gave it back. The things that God gives back to you, that you relinquish genuine, absolute control, you give them to him when, if he chooses to give it back, it's sweeter than anything that you cling to. By then, I was 44 years old. I was already beginning to ball. I was already beginning to grow this belly. It's like an infection. You know, I, I couldn't surf near like I could in high school. Didn't have it all down, but it was glorious. It's glorious. Don't cling to the things that you think make, are necessary for your life's happiness. Relinquish them. Let them go. For many of you, it's your kids or your grandkids. Dedicate them to the kingdom of God and see what joy they bring to you. They might not be physically in your presence as much. You'll get that in heaven. You'll get that in heaven. You've got a long time to be with those folks. Folks, without consecration of this sort, that the scriptures teach, if we're never going to, you know, rate us training or not, unless we can bring those students to that point, and unless we can have churches and families raising up people that have character issues dealt with, to understand the concept of con- consecration. I'm his for his purposes, no matter how long it takes. We're going to keep doing missions conferences. We're going to keep just circling the globe, trying to complete the Great Commission. We cannot do it with unconsecrated lives. Pray that the Lord would raise up more of those from this church. Father, I thank you for this body of believers that have been such a blessing to Beth and I and our kids that you have used around the world and you've used in this community. I thank you for the legacy of this church. Lord, continue it on for decades. Lord, raise up more men and women that would leave precious families, precious fellowship here in this church. Leave it behind, not because they want to, not because they're excited about it, because you have spoken clearly of your desire to be honored and worshiped among all nations. Use this church in a mighty way in the years to come, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.